this. Let me take you to the cross. Jesus has been brutally beaten. It's a form of torture that was developed by the Persians, perfected by the Romans. He's been whipped. Crown of thorns has been placed on his head. Nailed to this cross, hanging there dying, suffocating, having a hard time breathing. The wrath of the Father has been poured out on him. And as he's hanging there dying on the cross, he finally cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As his final moments approach, he bows his head and gives up his spirit. And he dies. Three days later, because he had never sinned, never done anything wrong, the power of the Father raises him to life again. He's alive now and forevermore. King of kings, Lord of lords. That is our Jesus. He ascends into heaven. And now 50 days after the crucifixion, after Passover, Jesus' disciples, the disciples of Christ, are there in Jerusalem. And they're awaiting what Jesus said he had promised the Holy Spirit. And as they're there, the Spirit of God falls on them and Peter begins to proclaim to the large crowd that's gathered the gospel. And as he's proclaiming the gospel to the large crowd of mainly Jews, though people from all over the Middle East that had gathered there for the celebration, he finally turns to them and says, This Jesus, whom you crucified, God has made Lord and Messiah. And the people who are there realize as they chanted, crucify him, crucify him. As they watched this Jesus who they thought was going to usurp the role of the Roman government and authority and lead them to victory, who they thought had failed, they realize is Lord and Messiah made so by God. By God. They're pierced to the heart. Their hearts are quickened. They don't know what to do. And so they even say that to Peter. What should we do? Because they realize in that moment they had killed the Messiah, the Lord. In essence, they had killed God. And they didn't know what to do with that. Well, what do we do with the fact that we have killed the Lord who came down? How can we ever be forgiven? How can God ever accept us? How can God ever welcome us? We were there. We were chanting. And Peter responds with two words. Repent and be baptized. Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from the ways which were leading you to crucify the Savior and turn to him. That's repentance. That's a turning from and a turning to repent, he says, and be baptized. Baptism is not for the forgiveness of sin. Repentance draws us to faith in Christ or allows us to have faith in Christ and believe. That's what repentance allows. Baptism is the symbol of what we've done in repentance. Baptism symbolizes what God has done in our hearts in repentance. So repent and be baptized. They do. 3,000 or so of them. And they're added that day to the body of Christ, his bride, the church. Over the next number of weeks, we're going to be looking at a series called Hitting the Mark. It's the marks of a healthy church. Hitting the mark. Marks of a healthy church. We're going to look at several marks of a healthy church. And as we walk through the series looking at marks of a healthy church, we recognize that church is complex. Church is this glorious idea that God birthed, and it is good. But it's also complex and challenging. If you haven't been in church long, maybe you haven't realized that it can be complex and challenging. But if you've been a part of faith community, 
any length of time, you realize that there's complexities to it. So what are some barriers that are there to becoming a healthy church? Let me name just four. Four barriers to becoming a healthy church. The first one is me. I am a barrier to becoming a healthy church. When I want my way, my preference, when my opinion seems to matter more than most, when I think that I have an idea that no one else should, 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 should speak into, when it's about me, I'm a barrier to a healthy church. My sin gets in the way of a church being healthy. But it's not only my sin. I'm not only a barrier to a healthy church. We're a barrier to a healthy church. When we're unwilling to forgive other people, when we're bitter and act bitterly towards others that are brothers and sisters in Christ, when we're angry with them, jealous of them, when we're greedy and don't care for those in our own midst in need, I'm a barrier to a healthy church. We're a barrier to a healthy church. Our busyness is a barrier to a healthy church. Part of becoming a healthy church means that we need to spend time together. We actually need to know each other. We actually need to care for each other. We need to spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer, hearing about each other's hurts, praying for each other's needs, rejoicing when rejoicing is able to happen celebrating when others are rejoicing and mourning when people are experiencing loss, grieving with those, lamenting with some. But busyness keeps us from that. Man, over time at work, lots of studies to be done, assignments that need to be finished, kids and aging parents. Busyness can keep us from functioning the way God would have us to. And then misunderstandings. Anytime you're in relationship with people, one of the greatest challenges to any relationship is miscommunication, misunderstanding. It's sometimes imposing what you think someone intended to do, their intentions, upon them, totally misunderstanding, misreading what they were intending. It's sometimes miscommunicating in a text or an email, a post. And it happens all the time, not just in the world, not just in your business place, not just at your school, not just with your family or friendship group, but in the church. But the church is indispensable. We indispensably need healthy churches. Why? Let me give three reasons. One is this. What we believe is not popular. The world does not believe what we believe. In fact, Western culture has determined that God does not exist because it wants to be accountable to no one. And so Western civilization has come to the place where they believe the universe can self-exist, not wanting there to be a prime moving, not wanting there to be someone that we're accountable to. And so the world itself would suggest that what we believe is not popular. What we believe is not natural. We need each other because what we believe is not natural. It's a gift of God's spirit to us, believing in the truth that Jesus not only came, lived a sinless life, died, had the wrath of the Father poured out on him as he was dying, took my sin upon himself, grants me his righteousness, three days later, because he never sinned, was raised to life again, is King of kings and Lord of lords, now and forevermore. That is not something you naturally believe. It is a God-given gift, a glorious God-given gift. And Satan wants to defeat us. Satan wants to defeat us. He is our enemy. He lies to us and he's out to devour and destroy. And so we need each other. 
when the popular opinions of the world are turning against the wisdom of God to remind each other, no, what God has said is true. We need each other. When what we believe is not natural and our own sinful nature tries to convince us that what we believe is foolishness, to remind each other that this is actually the wisdom of God, we need each other. When Satan lies and is out to destroy and is out to destruct or, to, or, or, or devastate the church, we need each other in our battle against him. And so after this glorious day where 3,000 come to faith in Christ and are saved, we have a description in Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, of the birthing of the church. Listen to this. The word of God says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they committed to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They praised God. They enjoyed the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. Several of the marks of a healthy church that we're going to speak about over the next several weeks are found right here in this text. And they also are formed in our values of celebrate, grow, serve, care, and share. And so as we walk through this, we're going to kind of align these values with the different marks that we see and talk about how in the birthing of the church in Acts, we see many of the ways or the marks of a healthy church. So the author, Luke, writes, they devoted, that means they gave themselves to, they were applied to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. They were Bible-based. They based what they believe on the Bible. Now, the Bible wasn't as we know it formed yet, but they call it here the apostles' teaching. The apostles who wrote the majority of the New Testament. This here is what they based their lives on because they knew that this book, tells us who God is, who we are, and how we relate to him. How do you know who God is? Right here. How do you know who we are? Right here. How do you know how we can relate to God? How do we understand God in our relationship with him? Right here. His word, scripture, that we'll look at next week more intensely, is how we know who he is, who we are, and how we relate to him. He's given us a book, gloriously granted us his word so that we know who he is, who we are, how we relate to him. And more than that, how we relate to each other. What we can expect at the end of time. God promises certain things that we can base and guarantee our lives on. James Boyce, commentator, says this, If you are spirit-filled, then you will be drawn to this book. If you are not drawn to this book, if you don't really want to study it, if you say, well, you know... I look at the Bible from time to time, but it seems really boring to me. It never really does much for me. Or you question, sorry, you ought to question whether you are born again. Or if you are born again, you at least ought to question whether you are filled by the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, whose chief task is to bear witness to Jesus, inevitably draws the people of God to Jesus through the scriptures. God, by his spirit, uses his word in our lives to encourage us, to correct us, to teach us, to sustain us.
That's what God does. John Stott says this, The Spirit of God leads the people to submit to the Word of God. The Spirit of God leads the people, or even the people of God, to submit to the Word of God. That's, that's what he does. And so we are Bible-based. And unapologetically, Scripture is our guide, not just through this series, but Scripture is our guide. Our guide is a church family. But it was also bodybuilding, the early church, bodybuilding. It says they devoted themselves not only to the apostles' teaching, but also to fellowship. Fellowship is founded in the triune nature of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who enjoys a perfect love relationship and communion with each other and has graciously, lovingly decided to allow the relationship that God experiences in his three-in-oneness as Father, Son, and Spirit to be extended to us. He graciously, gloriously grants us extension into his relationship. And then he extends that relationship from us to him, to us to others, to other believers specifically here. That's fellowship. Fellowship is the rich blessing of being connected to each other in Christ. The greatest, the greatest commonality you will ever have with anyone is Jesus Christ. It's greater than an athletic connection. It's greater than an academic connection. It's greater than some type of musical connection. It's greater than camaraderie on some type of sports field or in some type of orchestra or in some type of work environment. The greatest camaraderie, the greatest connection you will ever have are with those who are God's children, brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we have the greatest foundation of the universe in us for each other. Some of my closest friends have been athletes. And though I love to play sports, I don't follow them at all. Some of my closest friends have been musicians. And though I appreciate music, I can't play anything. I've had close friends who are, who are instrumental and gifted in drama. And I cannot act nor dance. It's just not my skill set, not what I have. But what we have in common is not these skill sets. It's our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so they experienced fellowship. One of the things I greatly appreciated about my friend Nate Larkin was his definitions of accessibility and accountability. He said the church needs to move. Fellowship is about moving from accessibility or from, sorry, accountability to accessibility. Accountability is getting together after a week and sin reporting. You're just telling people what you've done in your life that week. Whereas accessibility is being involved in each other's lives enough that you're actually pushing each other on to be like Christ and helping each other in the battle against sin. Accessibility is being accessible in each other's lives through text and calls, through emails and face-to-face copies when we're again able to after COVID-19. Accountability is gathering together and simply reporting on the sin we committed that week or maybe didn't commit. And so we need to be accessible in each other's lives. We need fellowship and be devoted to it. The third is a gospel-centeredness. It's the breaking of bread. As they gathered, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. This is communion. This is gospel-centered celebration of what it means that Christ not only lived but died. His body was broken. His incarnate body was broken. His blood was shed. The bread representing his body. The wine or juice representing his blood. 
and we celebrate the accomplished work of Christ on our behalf. We celebrate a Savior who came and died so I could live. We celebrate a Savior who came to grant me freedom when I was a slave. We celebrate Jesus. And they were passionately praying. They were dependent on God in prayer. They came before him recognizing that only he could shake the universe. Only he could alter their situations. Only he could save their friends. Only he could open up by his spirit the wisdom of his word and grant us illumination or grant us understanding. And only he could do these things. So they were dependent on him in prayer. Scripture says then that everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs that were performed by the apostles. And so as we have thought through, God, what does it mean that we're about to be blessed with and move into this new building? We want to be Bible-based, as we have been, walking us through scriptural passages, walking us through books of the Bible, digging deep into God's word, understanding both the prophetic teaching and the apostles' teaching. What has God said? How has God revealed himself? What has God said about us? How has he talked about repentance and salvation, our relationship with him, our relationship with each other? And so you'll see that continued in our community groups as we have before. We'll continue to focus on what it means to walk with and follow God, what it means to follow and understand scripture as we do so together. Sermons that are based on scripture and seminars of those that we know that can come in and teach us things on hermeneutics, Christian ethics, the Bible itself to understand who God is more. We also want to be bodybuilding. Many of you have come alongside of each other and you've cared for each other in this time of isolation and even quarantine. You've brought meals, you've called, you've prayed, and we need to continue to do that even more. And we long to be together in a way that we can celebrate with each other, in each other's presence once again. And so we look forward to that day when that can happen. We're excited that in the middle of July, we'll be in this new building or the beginning of August and prayerfully restrictions will be lifted so that we can gather together, celebrate, enjoy God's presence together, fellowship with each other as we're able to do so, connect with each other again in covenant and community groups, not just over Zoom. And we're thankful for technology like that, but also in person. We continue to be gospel-centered Focus on the accomplished work of Christ and what he has done. Thankful as we remind each other of who Christ is and what he's accomplished. We look forward to being back together again when we will celebrate a piece of bread and a cup that reminds us of the broken body and blood of Jesus shed for us. And we passionately pray, not just in community groups. So I'm so thankful that our community groups pray together, but also we long to pray together communally as a larger body you think of the early church in the book of acts when peter and john were proclaiming the word not long after this has occurred and there they are proclaiming the word proclaiming that jesus has indeed been raised from the dead as they don't like his message peter and john are thrown into prison they're thrown into jail as they're there in prison upon their release they find the believers and as they gather with the believers the believers are gathered in prayer that's what they're doing. They're gathered in prayer. And as they're gathered in prayer, the Holy Spirit falls upon them. The Word of God tells us that the place where they were meeting was shaken. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit filled them. And they were emboldened to speak God's Word. They spoke the Word of God even more boldly. 
They've been put in prison for speaking the word of God. Now they're emboldened to speak it even more clearly. That's what we long for our prayer meetings to be like. That God's spirit would fall, fill us, shake us, and embolden us. When Herod arrested Peter, he had arrested a number of the believers and he found that he had favor with the people for doing so. So he arrested Peter, wanting to then give a trial after um, the Passover. He put four squads of four guards each, that's 16 soldiers there to guard Peter. The believers gathered and prayed. We found that in, that, in this passage and, and later on in the book of Acts that, that the believers have gathered and are earnestly praying. And what occurs at that time? An angel of the Lord appears, lets Peter out of prison and brings him to the place where they are praying. Oh, we long for God to so powerfully move in our midst and we need to be people who pray. Verse 44. The believers were all together. They had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions. They gave to anyone who was in need. This is not a commune. What happens is God's people saw that their possessions were not theirs, but belonged to everyone else. Their homes belonged to God and therefore to God's people. Their, 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 their possessions belonged to God and therefore God's people. Their skill sets belonged to God and therefore God's people. And that's how we should look at things. Our homes, our vehicles, our retirement savings. They're not ours. They are not ours. They belong to God. We're owned by him. He owns everything we have. And so these are resources, gifts for God's people. So the Bible is really clear that those that had more, we find this even in, in, the, in the next couple of chapters of Acts, sold what they had, laid at the apostles' feet so it could be distributed to anyone as there was need. And you find it here in verse 45. Some of them sold property and they sold possessions. They're like, I don't need this anymore. I have two of these, or I, I have this thing that, that's worth a fair bit of money. And even though maybe we can use it and we, we even, it's something that we might even take delight in, we're going to sell it for the good of God's people because this belongs to him and his people. What are in need? It's partly why so many of us are giving of the money that God has granted us back to him so that we can provide housing in this building. We want to provide housing and several people from our own church family are going to be housed in this building. We're so excited to be able to provide them with supportive and affordable housing. That's why we called out to you to assist us with the Benevolent Fund a few weeks ago. And through that fund, not only have we been able to help many people in our neighborhood who aren't a part of our services yet on a Sunday, but people in our own congregation who've come to us in need. In fact, I say to you today, if you're struggling, come to us. If there's a need that you have that we can meet, we are happy to come alongside of you. That's what we're here for as brothers and sisters in Christ. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They praised God and they enjoyed the favor of all the people. They were deeply devoted to each other. They met both formally and informally, formally in the temple courts, informally in each other's homes. Now, as they met in the temple courts, they no longer brought sacrifices because Jesus is the sacrifice. Some people would suggest they met there for evangelism. They went there to evangelize. Some would suggest they still went there as a place to prayer, pray, knowing that God had established the temple, not fully yet understanding that Jesus is now the temple. For whatever reason they went there, they gathered there, and they gathered there daily. They just continued to meet together because they knew that their own sinful nature would want to draw them from Christ. They knew that the enemy wanted to defeat them. They knew that the world wanted to speak lies to them 
and adopt its philosophy and ideology rather than God's kingdoms. And so they met together and met together and met together. They encouraged each other. They dug into the word. They prayed. They celebrated the gospel in Jesus through communion. And they were devoted in fellowship. That's what they did as they gathered together. And the word of God says this, the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. Because those that didn't know the Lord that were out looked in. And as they looked in, they saw this community that was vibrant, that had believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection, that was caring for each other, that met together frequently, praying together. And they realized that this group of people had something that they didn't have, and that's Jesus and how he had changed their lives. And as they looked in, they realized that they wanted whatever everyone else had, and that is Jesus himself. And so the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. This should be part of the natural ramifications of our transformed lives. John Stott says this, The first Jerusalem Christians were not so preoccupied with learning, sharing, and worshiping that they forgot about witnessing. Their worship their worship and witnessing was daily. Praise and proclamation were both the natural overflow of their hearts, of their hearts, full of the Holy Spirit. So I think of Jim when I met Jim, business leader. I asked him his story of how he came to faith in Christ. He said, well, when I was 37, God saved my boss. My boss was a good man, but he also had some distinct things about him. He was greedy. Money was his God. And when God saved my boss, God made him the most generous man I have ever met. God changed his life. He had his family. He wasn't immoral in any way that I knew of. But in terms of the way he looked at money, in terms of the way he treated his employees, everything changed. And I so noticed that one day I went into his office and said, what's going on? Like, what has so changed in you? And he told me the story of how God, just a few months before, had saved him. And I watched my boss and saw such a difference that three months later, I gave my life to Christ. I too was saved. I think of Shelly. I asked her how God had saved her at a conference I was at. She said she came to faith in Christ when she was 27. It was her sister. Her sister who was lost in homelessness and drug addiction. And she said, one day my sister showed up at my door, apologized for all of the mess of her life, apologized for all the things she had stolen from me, apologized for all the ways that she had treated myself and mom and dad. She told me that God had saved her. I didn't believe it at first, but then I watched her and I watched her for a few months and I watched her for a year and she moved back into our neighborhood. She got married and I continued to watch. She married this godly guy and about three years into their marriage, I realized that this was not fake. It was true and God saved me. You see, the witness of the transformation of God's people and of the transformation of God's people together speaks to this world so vibrantly that they want in on what we have. That's Jesus Christ himself. F.F. Bruce says this, It is the Lord whose prerogative it is to add new members to his own community. It is the joyful duty of the community to welcome to their ranks those who Christ has adopted. So God saves them and we welcome them in. We welcome them in. We are his bride, the body of Christ, his chosen people, the church. And God has put us together to be a Bible-believing, Bible-based, body-building, gospel-centered, passionately praying, spirit-filled, compassionately caring, deeply devoted church. It's glorious. It's God's. And I'm a thankful, and I'm thankful, ever thankful, then I'm a part of it. Let me pray.
God, we come before you today and we confess that at times church is messy and it's difficult. And God, sometimes we've been more a part of the problem than the solution. We're thankful for church, your body that you have granted life to, that you have brought together, that you have allowed to exist. And so God, may we glory in the very church, the people around us that you give us to commune with, to enjoy, to pray with, to learn scripture with, to fellowship, to care for and be cared by. God, our prayer is that you would help us to be a vibrant part of church and specifically of this church you've called us to, Houston Street Baptist. And so we pray this in the powerful resurrected name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen.